0: If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings 5. I'll give you a moment to get there. The title of our lesson and our message tonight is Stifling Self-Importance. When you get there, you'll be familiar with the story. You've heard it many, many times. And I guess the root of the story is of a soldier who met God. And I want to say early on, there's nothing in this world like meeting God. Nothing at all. But the danger when we study God's word... when we read stories like this or any other story in the Bible, the danger is looking at that story or that event and saying that is so far removed from the time that we live in, what value is it? But if we pause and consider for a moment about these events, and this is just one of many in the Word of God. It's simply another proof that the more things change, the more they say the same. My grandfather both are gone and hit, gone now, but quite a few years ago. And I don't know what it came what came up about clothing styles and he told me one day. He said, "He said, son. He said uh, he, he, he called me that because I was his favorite grand. So he couldn't. How could he not be, right? But he said, if you wear the same clothes long enough, they'll come back in style. Isn't that true? And so, the more things change, the more they stay the same." Now, our story, of course, is going to involve somebody involved in military life, but it doesn't matter what our lot in life is. All of us have a lot to learn about things within us that hinder us from getting the real help that we need, of finding a way to get better. Our story tonight begins with a powerful, prominent Syrian general who finds out our By this time, he knows for a long time he has a disease that cannot be cured. Let's pick the story up in chapter 5, 2 Kings, verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable. Because by him, the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. We learn several things about Naaman in that first verse. Number one, he was a captain of Syria's army. Look what it says. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria. We also learn in verse one, he was a very powerful man. Again, he was a great man, with his master, and he was honorable. So he had power, he had influence. And he also had the great wealth that came with that position. We also find out in verse 1, he was very successful in battle. Look what it says, because by him... The Lord had given deliverance unto Syria, he was also a mighty man of valor. I find it kind of interesting because Naaman was a pagan. Syria was a pagan nation. And yet the Lord had given him victory on the battlefield. For whatever reason, he was blessed. By the Lord. So my question would be, who does God bless? Thank you. Whoever he chooses. Now the danger is, we want to question God about that. But do you remember the time when Job began to question God? When Job got finished, and when God got finished, Job put his hand over his mouth, and he said, I've said too much. So here we have a fellow, Naaman, captain of the army, Syria's army. He was a very powerful man. He was in good standing with the king of Syria. This had been Hadad, by the way. And... Very valuable to the king of Syria. The Lord had made him successful in his battle conquests. In fact, had given Syria deliverance by Naaman. But notice that last phrase, that next word, but. If you remember when we did our series on but God, one of the things we talked about early on was how that three-letter word makes all the difference in the world. In fact, it almost negates everything that is previous to that. When somebody begins to brag on you or me, and they say all these things, then they come up but, right? It negates what they just said. And so, of everything that Naaman had, his wealth, his power, his standing with the king of Syria, I think the implication here is he would have given all that up to get rid of leprosy. But he had leprosy. If you were here last Sunday morning, <clears throat> we spoke about that when we talk about impurities, about leprosy. And I realize it's hard for you and I this, tonight in the world we live in to understand how those who lived in those days, the Old Testament days and New Testament days, how they felt about leprosy. It was so feared by anyone in Israel that was diagnosed with leprosy, that they had to be separated from the rest of society, and they had to go live with other lepers. Now, I don't see anything in our text, either now or following, later on in the chapter that would suggest that Naaman's disease was because uh, he was being punished by God some type of moral wrongdoing. That's not in our scriptures. And again, I'm not sure exactly how the Syrians dealt with it. Probably not the same way uh, Israel would have uh, because the Syrians didn't live under the Mosaic law. But we do know that by the Israelites, it was considered unclean. And we talked about Leviticus last Sunday morning. Uh, a lot of verses there to the way it should be diagnosed, uh, the steps it should be taken to uh, bring about purity again, if it could be, if it could happen. Now it's interesting. We now know that the term, the biblical word for leprosy, was a, a very loose word in the Hebrew and in the in the Greek. And that term would often apply uh, to infections and not just actual leprosy, but sometimes it would apply uh, to psoriasis, uh, to ringworm, it would apply to uh, vitigo. But the term was also applied to mold. A house could have leprosy. A uh, utensil could have leprosy, if you will. It could be in your clothing. And the Mosaic Law spoke about that. So the indication is that probably overall, a limited amount of those things called leprosy are the chronic to true leprosy type that we now call Hansen disease. Of course, after the man who discovered it in 1871, he discovered the organs, organism that caused that disease. So the Hebrew word used for leprosy really simply means some kind of eruption in the skin. Leviticus 13:2. When a man shall have in the skin of his flesh a rising a scab or a bright spot, and it be in the skin of his flesh, like the plague of leprosy, then he shall be brought unto Aaron the priest or unto one of his sons the priest. But sadly, for the most part a lot of the forms of leprosy were incurable. And they would lead to either disfigurement, and sometimes they would lead to death. Now, again, we're not sure how the Syrians would treat that in their society. Evidently, they didn't ban you because Naaman was still part of the army, a captain. And it could have been that Naaman's leprosy was in the early stages Or a mild form of the disease. But evidently from what we read in our text tonight and Naaman's concern later on, it had drastically changed his life. And it left him apparently with a very bleak future. Now remember, the title of our, lessons, our message tonight is stifling self-importance. And I think it's important to stop here for a moment and apply something that we need to remember. Even the people who are... Most powerful in this world. Ultimately, they're powerless. They have no power. And we need to remember, there are some things that money cannot buy. Layman would have spent every dollar he had to get rid of that disease. There's some things that earthly power cannot obtain, no matter who you are. And without a doubt, Naaman was one of the most powerful men in Syria. Naaman had access to the king himself. And trust me, if Naaman wanted to see the king, he got to see the king. And even though Naaman could have almost anything he wanted, he could not cure himself of the leprosy. And we have to realize but Naaman realized. Wealth, power, and influence can only take you so far. Only take us so far. According to our text in 2 Kings 5 verse 1, Naaman Naaman could defeat any army in battle, any enemy, but when it came to the disease that was taking his life, he was powerless. But in verse 2 and 3, we see a glimmer of hope. Look what it says. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel. A little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, listen to this, would God, my Lord, speaking about Naaman now were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. You have to love that. There is no doubt in this young girl's mind. So in the course of these skirmishes with Israel, and they would be off and on, Naaman's forces had captured some Israelites and they made them slaves. And one of those that he had captured was a young girl who Naaman gives to his wife to be her slave, her servant. Now we don't know for sure, but I think the text implies that Naaman and his wife must have been kind to this girl. They must have treated her fairly, because she was concerned about Naaman's welfare. And so she tells her mistress, Naaman's wife, who evidently told her husband, Naaman, that there's a prophet in Israel. And if he, Naaman, was with that prophet, and she's talking about Elisha, if Naaman were with that prophet, that prophet could cure him. Now I think it's clear, I don't know how old the lady the girl was. She might have been a young maiden, I don't know. Certainly old enough to serve Naaman's wife. But it's clear she had heard of Elisha before she became a slave in Syria. And it's interesting, and if I read the text correctly and I understand it correctly, she was absolutely convinced that Elisha could cleanse leprosy because this man Elisha had supernatural power. Now here's what's interesting. Why would she think that? Because the Bible tells us that during the life of Elisha, guess how many Israelites he cured of leprosy? One less than one. None not one in Elisha's day were healed. How do you know? Luke 4 verse 37 And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elias, as means Elisha the prophet. Notice this, and none of them was cleansed saving or except. Naaman the Syrian. So was it because there were no lepers in Israel? That's not true. There were a lot of lepers there. But not one of them were cleansed by Elisha except Naaman the Syrian. So the slave girl goes to her mistress, Naaman's wife, And she says, I know a prophet. I know a prophet in Israel, in Samaria actually, who can cure leprosy. Now I want to tell you, I don't know if she ever saw him or not, but she at least heard stories about him. And even though no one had ever been cured of leprosy by Elisha during his day in Israel, she knew... That this man, this prophet of God, could cure leprosy. A glimmer of hope. In verse 4 and 5, look at the help that he seeks. The Bible says in verse 4, 2 Kings 5, And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said, the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to go. That means go now. And I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he, Naaman, departed and took with him ten talents of silver and a thousand, I'm sorry, six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment so I think it's clear that Naaman's wife told her husband Naaman uses his influence and his access to the king to uh, tell the king to uh, get the help that he needs the bible says that the king hears the news and he writes a letter To the king of Israel. If you haven't noticed it, even in our world today, men of power like doing things like that. They write letters, they make phone calls, they send emails or text whatever. But somehow, they make connections. Because they know powerful people. So this letter, signed by the king of Syria, would help his friend Naaman. But it also would demonstrate the fact that the king was a man who could get things done. So the king writes a letter to the king of Israel, the king of Syria, write that letter, asking for his help. Now let me pause for a moment and mention what we just read. The Bible says that when Naaman leaves to go to, Israel, or to Samaria, The Bible says he took some money with him, quite a bit, uh, silver and gold, and some changes of clothing. Now, how many know you didn't go to, uh, I don't shop, uh, to whatever store to buy clothing that day and time? It was hard to come by. And so what's Naaman thinking he's going to be able to do? But how many know there are things that money can't buy? <laughs> and whatever he whatever he did he knew. He didn't know he could not buy Elisha. And my friend, we can't buy God either. And by the way, he writes this the king of Syria, Ben Hadad, writes a, a letter I think it was Ben-Hadad II, by the way, uh, writes a letter to the king of Israel. Even though he's not named in the early part of chapter 5 of 2 Kings, his name was Jehoram. And if you study the kings of the northern tribe, Israel, of the southern tribe, Judah, the northern tribe had absolutely no kings who were godly. And Jehoram was one of those ungodly men. Second Kings 3, look at the first two verses. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria, the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And reigned 12 years. Verse 2 says, he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and not like his mother, For he put away the image of Baal that his father had made. So Jehoram made a couple of reforms, but not going far enough. He was still evil in the sight of God. He was a wicked king. A king that was leading his country down the wrong path of moral and spiritual ruin. But not only was he a wicked king, he was a weak king. Think about that. He was paranoid. And he reacted in fear when he got this letter from the king of Syria. Look at Jehoram's reaction in verse 7, 2 Kings 5. And it came to pass when the king of Israel, Jehoram, had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God? To kill and to make alive that this man, Ben-Hadad, does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy. Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeks a quarrel against me. Now, by the way, during Jehoram's reign, for the most part, not always, but there was at least some peace between him and Syria. But I think the thing that jumps out in verse 7 is how Jehoram, the king of Samaria, or of Israel, how he sees leprosy. And notice what he says. <laughs> Am I God to kill and make alive? Now think about this. The King Jehoram of Israel realizes this is a hopeless situation. And his words indicate. You might as well send me a corpse and ask me to revive it. Because the view of leprosy was you're as good as dead anyway. So, right away, Jehoram. Realize, or at least he thinks, he's being, he's paranoid. I told you he's weak and paranoid. Surely, Ben-Hadad is trying to pick a fight with us the same way he did with my dad, Ahab. That's what he's trying to do. He knows, he knows the impossibility of what he's asking me to do here's the problem. Here's the problem. Like a lot of us, Jehoram had jumped to the wrong conclusion. They weren't expecting Jehoram to heal Naaman. They were expecting Elisha to do it. Now notice Elisha's reaction. When he hears about the letter. He sends word to Jehoram the king of Israel. And he says, send him to me. Look at verse 8, 2 Kings 5. And it was so that when Elisha, the man of God. excuse me, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Now think about this. Jehoram rends his clothes. He tears his clothing. He is paranoid. And he realized this situation is hopeless. And in response to that, when Elisha hears about it, he welcomes the opportunity to demonstrate not only to Naaman, but also to Jehoram, the king of Israel, that there is a prophet of God in the land. There absolutely is a prophet in the land. It was interesting, when the story is over with, it led to a natural conclusion for Naaman. That there is ultimately only one God. Universal God. Second Kings 5.15 This is Naaman now. Okay, we will talk about Naaman. He returned to the man of God and all his company and came and stood before him and he said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. It's interesting when this Syrian general, and we can only imagine how imposing his military escort was. He arrives at Elisha's condo. Now you know when the condo, his house. And Elisha just sends out a message. Go and wash in the Jordan River seven times. How many know that didn't sit well with Naaman? He begins to vent. And... certainly speaking to himself and to those around him Elisha's not there in his presence the rivers we have in Damascus they're a lot better than the Jordan River better than all the waters of Israel now by the way I've been told I've never been there, but the Jordan River is a muddy river. Most of its way. So this Syrian gentleman, he's not just a captain, he's the man. He's the chief of staff. The only one higher than him is the king himself. And the king depends upon him. So the Syrian general with all of his imposing military escort made their way to the humble home of the prophet of God. But I want to tell you folks, in his wildest imagination, Naaman could have have never dreamed up what was going to happen. Never. And there's no doubt, think about this, I believe that Naaman completely was sure that when Elisha heard who's coming, he'll run out of the house as fast as he can to greet this great army general. And personally, that Elisha would personally take charge of the healing Naaman needed. But you know, the sewer, nothing like that happened. Now, I don't know for sure, but I picture Naaman in his recline with his feet propped up. He doesn't even go to the door, he sends a message. To Naaman. And as far as Naaman is concerned, that was rude. You don't receive a foreign dignitary that way. You don't receive a mighty military man that way. And and by the way, you don't give him orders either. I'm the one who gives the orders. I have a question for you tonight. How much do you think that bothered Elisha? Now, would you agree, Naaman was impressed with himself. But how much did Naaman impress Elisha? Not one thing. You see, the fact of the matter, (laughs) Elisha did not need Naaman. But guess what? Naaman needed Elisha. And you know the story. Naaman became so enraged of Elisha's lack of response. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that Naaman thought sure that Elisha would roll out that red carpet. Uh, there'd be a, 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 you know, we're going to have a first class scenario. Uh, We're going to have uh, a scenario made for a miracle. But he was so mad, he decided, forget this. I'm going to go back to Syria. Now look in verse 10 again, Elisha's strange instructions. Second Kings five, verse ten. Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. So he doesn't come out, sends his servant, but the servant has some very strange instructions. Now, think about this. This arrogant, proud general. And so far, when he gets to Israel, nothing is going right. It's not going the way he expected. He's had to travel to enemy territory. And he went there in desperation to be cured of his leprosy. Jehoram, the king of Israel, already said, I can't help you. I cannot help you. Strike number one. And then second of all, The prophet wanted to come out of the house. He wanted wanted to step out the door to meet him personally. And in the eyes of Naaman, this grand general, if you will, that kind of treatment is ridiculous. Go and wash seven times in the Jordan? on how absurd can you be you're telling me if I wash seven times in the muddy Jordan river I'll be cleansed of my leprosy it doesn't even make sense so I'm thinking that probably in Naaman's eyes This so-called prophet is either a fool or a charlatan. Or maybe even the entire nation, because their enemies, was playing Naaman over a fool. Verse 11, notice what Naaman expected. Oh my goodness. (laughs) But Naaman was wroth. And went away and said, Behold, look at the next few words. I thought. He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Note the words, I thought. Naaman had come to the prophet with his own ideas of how the healing should take place. I thought he would sure to come out and he would stand and call me uh, come to me and call on the name of the Lord he would wave his hand over the spot and he would cure me of leprosy. Naaman's problem was he watched too much TBN. I know I'm out of time, but I want to say, and we'll pick it up next week. What right did Naaman have to think about it? When we come to God, what we thought doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I thought. He thought for sure there'd be some kind of a public spectacle. With the prophet go through a routine there and perform some kind of miracle? And I want to tell you, folks, that's why we have to stifle our self-reliance. I thought doesn't matter. We'll pick it up there next week. Let's stand together. I would suggest tonight if you've got leprosy you don't need to think about anything else but getting healed. In the scripture leprosy is a type of sin. And if we're dealing with sin we don't need to go to God and the I thought. Our only concern ought to be being healed of our sin. And only Jesus, only Jesus takes care of that. Folks, thank you so much for coming tonight, for being here. I appreciate that so much. Hope you come back on Wednesday night uh, to our Bible study in Focus. Uh, on Tuesday, the older boys of Trail Life uh, are going to meet. And uh, by the way, Jason was, was sharing with me uh, just this past week. Uh, they started out with three boys. Where are you at now, Jason? How many?